This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. It's another early Thursday morning recording just because of scheduling, so hopefully there was enough time for everybody to get their questions in. So let's jump in and see what we got. The Remora wants to know if there's any devices on the market that could convert RGBS to RGBHV. Prices for CRT TVs with component video inputs have gone crazy in their local market, so they're hoping to look for CRT monitors. So there's two problems with this. I'm assuming you mean CRT VGA monitors, which almost none of them support 15 kilohertz signals. So it's not just about converting RGBS to RGBHV. Assuming that I'm reading it wrong, I'll just answer your question. If you want to keep the RGB signals the same, so 15 kilohertz to 15 kilohertz, 31 to 31, so 240p to 240p, 480p to 480p, then yes, any of the Xtron RGB devices can convert that to RGBHV, to sync on green, and vice versa between all of those. But I believe what you're looking for is running classic 15 kilohertz consoles on a PC CRT VGA monitor instead of a consumer grade TV, just because it's probably easier to find. If that's the case, it's a very easy solution. I'll leave a link to the video that I have for that, but you basically just need a line doubler. There's a couple of different ones out there. The video I did goes through which one is best in your situation. And of course, there's always the 120 hertz thing I've been talking about, but really, honestly, as long as you could find a VGA monitor that doesn't need to turn the brightness all the way up to max, you should be fine and you shouldn't really need any of that. Just turn on scan lines. So I'm pretty sure that's what you're looking for. And I have to say, every single time that I've done these experiments, whether it's a, you know, a high production video or a casual live stream or just messing around, you know, privately doing this stuff, every single time I have line doubled 240p to 480p and then added just basic horizontal scan lines, it's resulted in a look that is excellent. So you're not going to find VGA CRT monitors that are, get to giant sizes like you can consumer-grade TVs, but the quality is really going to be there. So I strongly recommend it for people who want high line count, extra sharpness, and all that other stuff. And really, any PC monitor that still has correct colors, it's not yellowed or weird. I'm talking about the tube itself, not the plastic. I don't care what the plastic looks like. But anything that still looks decent that can go bright enough, and I don't mean super bright, just in a dim room, as long as you can still clearly see it, that's really all you need for an excellent experience. So I'll make sure to leave the link below. Quantum Guitar had a bunch of stuff they wanted to talk about, and I read every word of the post, but in respect of everybody's time, I'm just going to skip through to the answers. First, they were talking about analog video inputs on AV receivers, and I have a very strong opinion about this. Unless you have the tools to test them, so the 240p test suite, a time sleuth, don't use them at all for video games. And in fact, they may or may not even be good for just VCRs and old DVD players and stuff. But generally speaking, they will probably add a ton of lag and not even be the best solution for scaling if you have this old equipment. And it's funny too, I've seen a couple of 
fancy professional YouTube audio reviewers say, oh, and this receiver has composite video input, so you could play your classic games on it. No, you can't. It's very laggy. None of them really work right. However, on the HDMI end, it's the opposite. Most of the receivers that I've tested have zero latency through the HDMI ports. I'm actually going to be doing a video on this, but I'm slowly going through AVRs that I get to pass in front of me. I've only done two on camera so far. I've done far more than that in just real life testing. Uh, but event, you know, it's probably going to be a year before the video gets out just because I want to get a whole bunch of examples. But generally speaking, don't plug your video game consoles into anything unless you know the latency of it. So, you know, plug it into a RetroTink product into your TV. Great. The OSSC, the upcoming Morph, they're all going to be great devices, but an AVR is definitely not designed for classic game signals and probably doesn't even do a great job with anything else because it's not what they're designed to do. And in fact, one of the receivers that I'm saving up to buy even brags about that on their website. Like, hey, we're not trying to pretend that we are audio experts and some kind of scaling video experts. We just have a basic HDMI switch that doesn't touch the signal at all. And I loved that. I actually wanted the receiver besides that, but after reading it, I was like, okay, these are my people. They understand. Stick with what you're really good at and don't try to throw in a $5 chip to, to solve problems that don't need solving. Which is, by the way, it's what Quantum Guitar said in different words. So I'm just agreeing with them and elaborating. They didn't, they didn't get that one wrong. Um, they also said that they ordered one of the component HDMI converters via the Amazon page, and it seems like they maybe got a redesign because the, they bought two of them, actually, and both had a bunch of waves of interference on the video and buzzing on audio. I've been hearing that a lot more, so I think I'm going to remove that before this goes live and swap it out with another one. Funny enough, the one that Quantum Guitar listed here is one of the other ones people said have been pretty decent so far. But what you need to understand with all of these products is even if we weren't in a global part shortage, most of this stuff is just rebranded. So the case could probably be used on 10 different brands or comes from one factory and is rebranded, but it is actually the same thing. And on the flip side, the internals of them can switch at any time because all this is is just cheap Amazon stuff that probably is just taking basic designs, slapping them on a circuit board and sending them out. So you never really know what you're going to get. And over the years, I've bought a bunch of these and some of them randomly just didn't work right. So that's something you're always going to have to keep in mind. But that is why I always link to the Amazon stuff as opposed to AliExpress. Because you can absolutely buy the same thing for a few bucks cheaper on AliExpress, but it takes a month to arrive and trying to return it is a pain for everybody. Whereas something you buy something from Amazon and it doesn't work, you just send it right back. And I hate doing returns. I never abuse that policy, but that's what it's there for. So I'll add the other adapter in there, but I still have had reports of the Porter branded ones being okay. So uh, maybe I'll remove it, but at the very least, I'll add another one in there. Um, also, they found that uh, playing Wii in a larger room, the sensor bar that came with it was having trouble reading the signal. So they upgraded to one of those larger ones. And I that's something that I've been using for a long time, both because it's larger and you could use it in a bigger room, but also because it's battery powered. So anytime I need to use it, I could just throw in some of my Eneloop rechargeable batteries, 
press a button and there you go. I don't have to run wires. I could put it above, below the TV. I could set it up to any one of those TVs. So I do recommend those. Um, I'll see if, if I have a solid link to the one that I use, I'll put it up there. But if not, really, any of the ones that say they're meant for larger rooms that are, are that don't cost an arm and a leg should be a very decent choice. Also, they want to know if I have any reference for the general latency of the uh, Super Mario All-Stars pack for the Wii. Um, now, I don't... It's not great, but it's not the worst I've ever seen. This is a guess. This is not a hard number, but I'm guessing it's probably three frames of lag. But if you mix it with, like, plugging 480i into a flat panel, now you're probably talking 10 frames of lag. So it, it's the total solution. Whereas if you plugged that Wii into a CRT, you might not notice the, uh, the emulation lag as much. So... All I would say is anytime you're playing emulated packs, you have to understand that there's multi-layers of lag being added. First, it's the emulation lag. Then whatever controller latency is inherently built into that console that you don't notice on any other game in that console because they're all designed to be used with that controller and that much latency. And then, of course, there's display lag from the video signal. And as I showed in the myth-busting display lag, if you go directly into the analog inputs, you could probably get more latency. So there's a lot of layers that happens with these emulation packs. I'm very wary of all of them. So many of them just seem like really terrible cash grabs. Uh, and, you know, I get, a lot of, I get a lot of flack for saying that. I've probably burned a lot of bridges saying that, but that's provable by fact. They're laggy, they don't perform right, and the marketing is all around. Wouldn't it feel nice to hold something that looks like something from your childhood? Like, yeah, it drives me nuts, and I'm, I'm never going to conform to that, I'm, which is probably why I'm always going to be a, <laughs> a slow-growing YouTube channel, but wh whatever. I'd rather be honest with you. So, yeah, just be very careful of any of those emulation packs. Generally speaking, Nintendo using Nintendo's games on their own platforms is a little bit better than some random stuff you might buy, but there's always going to have latency there. Hector Santana said they're in the market for a desoldering station or desoldering gun, and they've been looking at the Hakko FR301. It costs twice as much as the ZD915 that I have, and they both have a lot of good reviews. They're wondering if I'd buy that same station again if I lost it, if I have any complaints, and can I give a quick review of it? What if they were the same price and had the same warranty? Um, so there's a bunch of good questions there. And first of all, if they had the same price, I'm going to go with the name brand and the great warranty from Hacko and their great support just out of principle. But I've never used the FR301. So it's going to be, I can only half answer your question because I could say that the ZD915 has been excellent for me. I would absolutely buy it again, especially for the price. And uh, it certainly performed infinitely better than the piece of crap I had before that. But without using the Hakko FR301, I don't know if there's a real difference. Maybe I would grab the Hakko and say, holy crap, this is even better and even easier and even faster. But at that point, if that was true, I would just be taking something that's good and replacing it with something that's better. I don't have any complaints about the ZD915, whereas I had a lot of complaints about the other one that I used. So... My suggestion is kind of the same exact analogy I gave about the craftsman tools thing. I don't remember where I, whether it was a Q&A or on the weeklies, but basically, 
if you think that you're going to use this all the time and it's a tool that you rely on every day, like a computer or a PC monitor or something like that, get the good one because it does have a better warranty and you do have good support and see what happens. But if you're like me and you just use the desoldering station when you have to, probably once a week at most, for me it's more like a couple times a month. The ZD915 is awesome, and I don't have any complaints about it whatsoever. So my gut's telling me, tell you to save some money and just get the other one. But, you know, I do have a lot of friends where every time they buy a tool, they buy one of the best out there because they don't ever want to think about it again. They want to grab that wrench or that desoldering station 10 years from now and start using it and know that it's still going to work. So if you're that type of person and you have the budget, by all means... Um, for me personally, even if I did have the budget, I'd rather spend my money on stupider stuff. So it's totally, it's, it, that's totally up to you. But for me personally, I really like the ZD915 and I, I'll try to leave a link in the description as well, just cause I do have it on the modding tools page, but I also just want to leave a direct link. So there's no mistake. So I'll, I'll leave a link to bo both of those in the description. Hugo Castro said they'd like to capture Dreamcast VGA footage through the open source scan converter using an HDMI splitter. HDMI to VGA adapter on a VGA CRT monitor on one end of the splitter, uh, and then the other end goes to the blue AVS HDMI capture card to the PC on the other end. Will that work? Yes, 100%. Um, as long as the open source scan converter is outputting a resolution that's compatible with your VGA CRT monitor. So, for example, if you're just using this as a digitizer, which is still would be a, a great device for that, by the way, um, what, you're end up, what you'll end up doing is just passing through 480p and converting it from analog to digital. If you do it that way, you could send that signal to your VGA monitor, and it's essentially the same as if you plugged it in directly, and then you send 480p to your capture card, and then you could scale that in post if you'd like to, if you'd like to make it bigger for your streams. The other thing you could try to do, depending on your VGA monitor, is set it to line double. So instead of outputting 480p, it'll output 960p. I would just give that a try and see what happens. Maybe you're going to love the look on your VGA monitor, or maybe you're going to say it's cool, but it's not the same look as the original, so I'm going to go back. Or maybe you like it, but your capture card isn't compatible. Point is, just give it a shot, because it's not going to hurt anything. Worst comes to worst, you turn it on, and your monitor doesn't like the signal, so you just turn it back off to pass-through mode. But yeah, that is an excellent setup um, and one of the many things that the OSSC is really good at. So definitely give it a shot and I don't think you'll have any problems. Tony Shadwick heard me talking about how I would like a manual HDMI switch that supports more than just one to two so we don't have to worry about compatibility at all. All it does is route pins back and forth, so it's essentially the same as unplugging and replugging an HDMI cable into a coupler. So no worrying about HDMI revisions, no worrying about HDCP, it's just a manual push-button switch. And something like that would be incredibly difficult to route properly and to make sure that there's no interference added, the digital signals stay the way they're supposed to. So Tony said, challenge accepted, they're going to try to make something like that using a, uh, a four, I think you mean four in one out DB25 switcher. Tony said the opposite in the post, but what four in one out would be exactly what something like this would be like, or more. You know, as many as you could fit in there, that wouldn't cause any interference. But what they're attempting to do is take this DB25 switch and build 
HDMI adapters to go to DB25. So what they're looking for is a receptacle HDMI port that has all available pins uh, in already in board crafting software. So um, I guess all of the ones they found only show nine pins. So that's a question I'm going to have to refer to anybody listening. Has anybody here made an HDMI device where they routed every single pin on the HDMI connector? And do they have that board layout somewhere? Also, how does anybody, has anybody done anything like this before? I think it's much harder than most people realize. I don't mean that to you, Tony. I just mean talking to to everybody who's listening. Because it's, just because it's digital doesn't mean that a lot of the other things about board routing won't matter. And in fact, in some cases, the higher resolution you go, it matters incredibly much. Like the just the slightest bit of improper routing or something like that would throw off the signal. And then that would cause dropouts, green speckles, all the weird HDMI issues that we've seen over the years. So I have no idea if creating adapters and running them through a DB25 switch would work at all. But if you're already willing to try, that would be awesome because that would be very cool. Because it would also mean that you could try to find larger db25 switches and just sell the adapters so if anybody has a pinout for those uh, please share so tony can give this a try and hopefully this is something that would evolve into a project we could all buy at some point oliver menard said they're trying to remove the old bubblegum style thermal paste on the original xbox they tried hot air and isopropyl and it's a mess do i have any advice Um, They saw somebody on YouTube using WD-40, so they tried it on the radiator side, and it worked perfect. Do I think it's safe to use on the CPU and GPU? Um, I wouldn't wouldn't use that unless you know for sure it's non-conductive and isn't going to leave any kind of residue on it. Just because it works doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, especially if you find somebody on YouTube. There's just some notorious videos of people... You know, I don't know, licking a light socket and saying, look, you know, made my hair stand up as if that's something you should do. So uh, Retro Shang jumped in and said that thermal paste like that often had wax incorporated into it so it could be applied by machine at the factory. You could try getting Arctic Silver's, Silver's thermal paste removal kit called ArctiClean. It's meant for PC, CPU coolers and GPU coolers. So I've never used that before, but that would be my guess as well. And in fact, if Sean hadn't taken the time to post, I would have said, look for stuff that's designed specifically to remove thermal paste. Uh, It's the same stuff with flux. You use liquid or, or paste flux on a board, you do some soldering to it, and then the board looks really ugly. And it doesn't really hurt anything. You could totally leave it there if you wanted to. In most cases, the ones that say no clean flux, you could just leave it. But it looks ugly, and there's plenty of ways you can clean it off, but simply using a flux removal pen is by far the safest and best way. So I would guess that this is the same advice I would give for this. And unless somebody knows of anything different, I would just start with the Arctic Arctic Clean that Sean had suggested. So thanks for jumping in, Sean. Fabian Schneider said to Shorjor Steinholm's question from last week regarding playing NTSC Halo on PAL-only CRTs, Modded Xbox dashboards allow overriding video modes. They know it's not an external solution, but it's preferable for a few reasons. First, you don't even have to open up the Xbox to do a soft mod. External 60Hz to 50Hz conversion would almost certainly introduce judder or ugly interframe blending, barring some enterprise-grade frame rate conversion solution, which would probably add lag because you'd need to buffer at least a frame. And it's better to let the game run in PAL. 
If a game doesn't work properly with 50 hertz, you could also boot it in PAL 60, where you have very little chance of incompatibility because it's the same geometry and frame rate as NTSC. A good measure to see if a CRT supports PAL 60. If it does NTSC in black and white, it'll probably do PAL 60. Also, as an update, NTSC M Halo Discs definitely loads the campaign into PAL modes without any immediately apparent issues. They're not sure about System Link, they only have one Xbox to test. Uh, they also left a link to Xbox Game Save Exploits that's on the Console Mods wiki. So, uh, Fabian reached out on Discord to talk to me about this and was kind enough to put it in a very eloquent post here that allowed me to just read it out loud because uh, I'm not an expert on this. So I really appreciate that, Fabian. Um, hopefully I was able to get that information out the right way that you had written it. Uh, and I think that's pretty good info for SureJour to have. Also, shout out to SureJour. I had beer that he had sent me from the Faroe Islands that was freaking awesome and I can't remember if I messaged him about it yet. I definitely gotta, if I haven't, I'll do that right after this, but thanks to both of you. Dude Dudeson said, the recent Mr. Test builds that add variable refresh rate support has them pretty geeked up since they just bought an LG C1 OLED. The problem is that their HDMI ports are already filled up and they'd like to avoid making major tweaks to their setup. They were curious if myself or anyone in the comments knows of a good 4K120 HDMI switch box that they might be able to consolidate things with. They looked them up recently, and it kind of seems like the market just isn't there for 4K120 switches yet. And I agree. I looked for them as well. I found two HDMI switches that I actually really like. I know, I know, shocking. Uh, I will be doing a video on them very soon. Uh, I actually am going to be doing a live stream on it because I want to test this stuff in real time, both to, to show you all how much of a pain in the ass it is to get these articles out, <laughs> but also to give an insight on how to test yourself, um, how to ensure that the switches you're working are good, etc. But I found two that were very similar to the, um, the splitters that I had recently reviewed, and I think they were both awesome but they do not support 120. Um, that's 4K60 only, and that's something I've definitely been seeing a lot of. Now, if anybody has a 4K120 switch recommendation, I'll happily add it to the links, um, or maybe even put, uh, pin a comment or something like that. But I also am very wary of stuff that I haven't personally tested, unless it comes from another tester. And I mean, no disrespect. I'm not trying to say I'm smarter than anybody else. I just took the time to test it because I don't want to ever make a recommendation where somebody wastes their money because I didn't test something. So I meant that all in a very nice way. I hope nobody took that the wrong way. But uh, unfortunately, dude, I, uh, I don't have a solid recommendation for you. Maybe somebody else does. But for now, what I would say is unless every single port that you're using needs 120, Use Like if your TV has three ports that support 4K120, uh, 120, plug both of your devices into the 120 ports and then use the third port for an HDMI 60 switch and have your devices go that way. Uh, that's not the best solution, it's just a solution. So hopefully that's good enough for you and hopefully the same switches that I tested that I liked will have 120 hertz versions coming out at some point. Elwood15 said they're looking to buy a Kesker T12 soldering station, the one that I recommended, and so does Voltar. However, they remember there were some issues in the past where the circuit board and components were swapped for less quality ones. Due to the part shortage, they're mostly fine with that as long as it's still reliable and safe to use. 
The question is, is there a place where they could upload pictures so that other people could use it as a reference if they want to purchase it as well? Having a resource for this and other devices that are known for part swapping could help a lot, as well as to receive feedback from the community in case said changes made the hardware not a choice to get anymore. Awesome idea. Uh, I'll go back to answer your question in a second, but that is an awesome idea. And hopefully uh, um, the console mods wiki could evolve into a place like this. Because just like the HDMI to component converters I was talking about, it would be really awesome to pop the top open and take a picture and say, okay, as long as you have the one with this chip, excuse me, with these components oriented in this way, it's good. But if you have this model with that chip or the same chip with the components in a different position, it's bad. I think that would be a really great resource to have. So hopefully um, that is something we could just add to the wiki and uh, have that info on there. So when you get yours, please do that. And I was before I even got to that part of your question, I was thinking in my head, where are the pictures of the good versus bad? Was it buried on some forum? Is it just floating around on Twitter or something like that? So I think that's an excellent idea. Um, to, to your actual concern, though, there were two or three different concerns about this. The first were a bunch of people saying that it will burn your house down, which is complete and total bullshit. Uh, I debunked this. Not only did I debunk this, I also brought this up to a master electrician who literally laughed when I told him that. He said, as long as you're using circuit breakers in your house, you're fine. Now, both he and I absolutely suggest any kind of things like like this where you think maybe there could be an issue, only plug them in when you use them. Or like I used to do, I had everything plugged into a circuit breaker and I, or, um, a surge protector and I just left it off all the time and only turned it on when I was using it just as an extra precaution. But I remember the master electrician told me, as long as you have circuit breakers and they're not federal electric brand, because those a lot of those were recalled over the years, then you're totally fine. So unless you have some makeshift soldering station connected to an extension cord that you run out to your backyard, I, I would not worry about the first complaint at all. The second complaint was that it was less of a quality build overall and that I can't speak to. That's something Voltar or any of the people that did the analysis would have to. However, a lot of people have still been buying that thing, and everybody seems to like it much better than the similarly priced alternatives, including the alternatives that are a little more expensive, uh, a ton more expensive. But So I'm still keeping it as a recommendation, because even if it is lesser quality than the ones we found years ago, it still doesn't seem to suck, and there is not, unless, like you said, something changed because of the part shortage, there is not any real safety issue at all to it. Make sure you have it plugged into an outlet, and at the very least, if you have any concern, just buy the cheapest surge protector and leave it off, and that's it. So, you know, surge protectors often aren't surge protectors. They're just splitters. But as long as it has a full kill switch to turn it off, you're good. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So excellent questions. Um, And yeah, if you don't mind, that would be awesome to have on the wiki. And if somebody wants to start the page for the HDMI DAX, I'll take pictures of all of mine and then hopefully go through and see which ones have the better chips in them or not. Jason Guffey said they were soldering some stuff yesterday and a bead of solder landed on their pants. Luckily, they weren't burned, so they waited for a few seconds for the bead to cool before flicking it off their legs, and it exploded, splashing teeny bits of hot solder all over their hand. No major burns, but it hurt pretty damn bad for a few seconds. What happened, and what could I do to avoid having solder explode in the future? Well, I think it didn't explode. I think what happened is the outside 
cooled faster than the inside because of room temperature. So it cooled off, and if you had, like if it had just landed on a table and you'd left it there, uh, assuming it didn't burn the table, then eventually if you flicked it, it would have just been a solid mass. But it was probably still hot and gooey in the middle, and when you flicked it, it just kind of exploded out that way rather than just, you know, bing off your leg or something like that. So that's my guess. Um, I'm not an expert in that stuff, but it's happened to me before, and I do know quite a bit about um, thermal dissipation heat and that stuff because that was part of my job a while back. So that's my guess. Um, on a related note, they've noticed that sometimes when they're soldering, they get these splashes off the materials, almost like sparks from grinding metal, but without the shine. Seems like it could be flux splashing out mid-job, but how or why would this be the case? Um, not quite something that I've had run into before, but I've absolutely had just simply heat. Um, kind of move flux around and that's just because of evaporation uh, because of things expanding and contracting with heat and cold so I'm not really sure about that one but uh, it's really I would have to see a picture of it to understand but if you're using the right flux and the right solder on the right components it, you shouldn't really worry about any of the stuff coming off of it. Um, you know, unless you're like dumping half a thing of flux on it and then putting a handful of solder on, you know, an 0608, you know, component or something like that. But I don't think that's what you're doing. Lastly, they're considering buying some damage or working consoles off of eBay or local pickups where they could find them, if only to clean, repair, and possibly mod them to sell again. They'd only be doing so as supplemental income to their main job, so they definitely wouldn't charge the kind of high rates that the experts who do this for a living would. Does this seem like a viable idea, or is the market not really suitable right now for a newbie to try and enter? Um, that's 100% up to you, and the end result is always going to end in attitude and enjoyment. If you have a positive attitude about it, then you go in knowing that you're probably going to have to do things twice at first. Uh, and this is not something that you're relying on to to say, all right, well, I'm going to be a pro modder now, which is not what you said. I'm just, just kind of going through it. I would think it's totally fine, but do you have fun doing that stuff? So if it's one of those things where, you know, you're wandering through a shop that you like to go to and you stumble across a used console and you enjoy the whole process of taking it apart and cleaning it and, you know, doing my dish detergent soft bristled brush method so it looks better and it's not weird and gooey and who knows what else is on the controller or that thing. And you like going through and, and doing a recap if needed and trying to repair easy things. You know, or maybe add RGB to SNES minis and, and N64s. Easy stuff that, you know, you don't have to test it for days. You don't have to worry about crazy long-term stuff. As long as you don't have cold solder joints, the wires are run properly. There's a, If you enjoy that process, you could definitely do that. Have some fun. Make a little bit more income off of that to use to buy more tools, to do more stuff. I, I would highly encourage that if that's something you enjoy. But if you're just saying which you're not, Jason, but if anybody listening is just thinking, ah, you know, all these modders make all this money, I need some extra cash, let me do this. There's way easier ways to make money with much less risk, much less investment, and just much less headaches. So if you love it, do it, definitely. You seem to love it, Jason, so that seems like the perfect thing for you to do whenever you, you know, have extra time and you're not putting pressure on yourself. You're not saying, I got to get seven consoles out by the end of the day or I can't pay my rent. You're just like, I feel like doing this today. Here's a cool new thing I have. Definitely, I would recommend that. And, and there's always room for more. It's just the only ones that frustrate me 
that have always frustrated me are the people that just stick things together with a wad of glue and say, look, it works. I'm a professional modder. You know, I'm going to put this on eBay for $500. And then they, we call them out on it. Like, Hey, that's going to stop working in three months. Here's why. And they're like, screw you. You're a gatekeeper. You can't, you just don't want me in your community. Like those are the people that drive me nuts, which you're obviously not one of those, but so there's more than enough room for anybody with a positive attitude to jump in and do this for themselves, their friends, there's just no room for for more of those people and the ones that make it worse are the ones that that somehow partner up with famous youtubers to get them to promote their garbage and then you call them out and it's the same gatekeeping bullshit all over again so many there's so many amazing people in the scene and the couple of dirtbags really do just put a damper on it but as i complain about these things i definitely always want to remind everybody it is the minority of people are shitty. Most of the people in the scene have been amazing to work with. So, and have the type of positive attitude that you probably would. I just wanted to clarify that not so much for you, Jason, but for anybody else who's listening and was kind of thinking the same things or who also may have just been wondering, like, why do you know we retweet or repost or talk about certain new modders and not others? It's usually attitude based people that step into this saying, I want to learn, I want to get better. And they listen that's the key. Listen, those are always welcomed uh, everywhere in anything that we do. Whereas the, the pig-headed ones that come in, especially the ones that ask for help, and then when you don't just tell them what they want to hear, they get mad and start talking shit and all that. That happens every so often, and it just cracks me up every time. Well, you don't even know what you're talking about. Well, why did you ask for help then if you didn't think I knew what I was talking about or any of the other people that we uh, that were with? So it's the bad attitude people are the ones that there's no room for. Anybody that wants to just be happy and do this, you're always welcome. So uh, hopefully that... I don't think you had any question about that, Jason, but if anybody was listening and wondering about that, hopefully that kind of puts some clarification on why some people get get some harsh treatment and others are are welcomed with open arms, even though they're both beginners, both at about the same skill level. So hopefully that uh, puts puts some clarity on it. Well, that's it for this week. Any questions at all that you have, please just ask wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new new question on an older post. Plus, I love just scrolling through in real time like this. And if I miss your question, like if you were to post it as this video was rendering, because I did it pretty early on Thursday, but before it becomes live, please just re-ask it. I never delete anybody's question. I know Patreon is still randomly deleting stuff. I still haven't figured out why. I don't even think they know, to be honest with you. Uh, But if there's anything that's missing, um, just please uh, direct message me or just re-ask in the questions for next week. But as always, thank you all for, for watching and listening. And of course, thanks to anybody for their support. And I'll see you next week.